Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When we criticize others on the basis of personal experience or opinion, this criticism exposes our blindness to the truth of our own sins. In Mark, whether they realize it or not, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders question the authority of Jesus exactly because their own authority is questionable. They challenge Jesus, not because they look to God's teaching as the only authority, but because they want to protect their own power and prestige. But these men were no match for Jesus, not because he was more clever or powerful, and not because he had the people on his side. On the contrary, their maneuver failed because throughout Mark, when Jesus speaks, he never gives his own opinion. His authority comes directly from his father's teaching, of which, for all their religious bluster, the leaders in Jerusalem seem to know very little. Unlike the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, when Jesus speaks, he criticizes strictly on the basis of Torah. This type of criticism exposes the blindness and sinfulness of everyone. At the same time, it ruthlessly subverts the power of the one who proclaims it. Something to keep in mind as the narrative picks up its pace and route to Golgotha. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 186 of the Bible as Literature podcast. One of the most important elements of the Pauline Gospel, and by extension, the canonical Gospels, which are part of a system in the New Testament, is the emphasis on authority. And in our cultural setting, this emphasis has never been more urgent. Our culture does not know how to deal with the problem of power. We recognize that the abuse of power is vile and disgusting, but we're blind to our own abuse of power. Human beings have power. We have the power to act and be agents in the world. We can do things. So what scripture is trying to do is it's always trying to channel that power away from the human towards God, where it properly belongs. And so that's why the loving kindness, the chesed that God is always demanding, is the way that human beings turn this power over to God. Now, some people act like or think like they've given up their power when they haven't. And one of the ways that they do this is when they look at an abusive leader and they say, who is he to act like this? Or someone who has power and says, who is he to tell me what to do? This is a human being exercising their power in order to manipulate 
other powers so they can get a leg up. And even the most gentle Midwesterner uses their power in this way because the one who truly gives up their power never says, who is he to tell me? They say, it's my duty to serve. I was talking to an Israeli friend this week. You know, the modern word mitzvah is like a good deed, doing a good deed. But this comes from the biblical Hebrew word mitzvah, which means a commandment. And it's not enough to do something nice. You have to do what's commanded of you. But when you do what's commanded of you, you're performing chesed because that's what Torah demands of human beings. So in looking at this past episode, when we were talking about the rotten temple and casting out the money changers, the corruption that happens in the temple, well, the temple is always going to be the concentration and seat of human power even though people pretend that it's the seat of God's power, it's the God that they want to control. That's why in Ezekiel, God decides to leave the temple because it says, no, 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 no. This is not your house to house me in. This is the place that I may or may not choose to visit. And you can tell if God visits the temple by whether the people are following his Torah or not. And so when we hear about the corruption of the temple, what exactly does that mean? And that's the question we need to answer. What does it mean to have a corrupt temple? What does that actually look like? They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. These are the ones who hold the power in the temple. So these are the ones who are invested in the temple being, remaining, from now on, forever, and they just had a person walk into the temple who says that it's about ready to be destroyed. Now the authority that they're jealous of, that Jesus wields, is accessible to them just as it's accessible to the disciples of Jesus. But they shun that authority because that authority undermines their ability to make a profit on the back of the temple. You always talk about Hosea. The priests get fat on the sins of the people. They become wealthy by eating the sins of the people. What does it mean to eat sins? It means literally you make a sin offering and the priest takes the money and he buys a steak dinner. So the more the people sin, the wealthier the priest gets. Because if they were wielding the authority of the text and not the authority of the temple, then they never would have had money changers in the temple. This is the point. So this is a nice epilogue to that pericope. So they came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Who are you to tell us what the prophets are saying? Who are you to perform actions on behalf of what Torah says? Who are you to say that the temple is not producing fruit? Remember, these are the scribes and Pharisees who pretend like they want to apply Deuteronomy to Jesus. But the problem is they're not saying, look, there's a man doing signs and wonders who's leading the people away from the Torah. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, look, there's a man doing signs and wonders, and he even quotes the Torah, but he's leading the people away from us. And we saw earlier, interestingly, the way that the scribes and Pharisees often would function is they would talk among themselves or they would talk to the crowd, and then Jesus would jump in and interrupt their conversation, knowing what they were saying in their hearts or however Mark would put it. And now 
they directly confront Jesus. He's on their turf. They've got no place to hide. Whereas outside of the city, they were always talking behind Jesus's back or trying to talk under their breath or whatever they were doing because they're afraid of Jesus's authority. What are they so worried about? If Jesus is quoting from the prophets, what other authority do you need? These are scribes. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, if you can't answer my question, there's no point in me telling you where my authority comes from because it won't make any sense to you. It's not a secret where Jesus' authority comes from. As he will say to the scribes and Pharisees when he's giving an account of his life, I preached openly in your synagogues. It's no secret. It's all laid bare. But you don't have ears to hear. So what's the point in telling you my authority comes from the scroll? You don't know what the scroll says. So let's do a test and see what the scroll says. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. These are scribes and priests and Pharisees. So what would be the reference point that you would expect? You would expect them to go and using their knowledge of scripture, which, as you said, Father, they may or may not actually have, but that's where you would look for an answer. And you would have authority because you'd be speaking from the scroll, from Torah, and you wouldn't have to worry about what other people thought of this because you don't care if people say to you, who are you to say these things? I'm just reading Torah. If you are speaking to a religious teacher, whatever your community is as a listener of this podcast, if someone asks a question of your teacher and they begin to answer without referring to a text, it should raise questions for you. No one should ever give their opinion about anything unless they can refer to a text when they speak. So, in verse 31, did they begin to read Torah and to debate the prophets? No! They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say, from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say, from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. So, who do they look to for answers? They look to themselves and whether Jesus is going to make them look stupid or whether the crowds are going to reject them. Those are their reference points. The reference point ultimately is their ego. Are we going to lose our prestige and our power? Power becomes its own reference point. The point of power is to preserve power. Once you have power, you want to keep power. That's why you say, who are you to tell me what to do? Why? Because you want to preserve your own power. If you say, your wish is my command, you have now given up your power. If you say, whatever you tell me to do, no matter how stupid I'm going to do it, you've given up your power. Who are you? is the power to preserve one's own power. That is why, once again in 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus Christ comes in power, and the kingdom shall not be handed over until every principality in power has been put under his feet. People ignore these verses, or they treat them as allegorical. They don't deal with them the way Paul presents them. As a matter of fact, that Jesus Christ is coming in power. 
And he's not coming to get rid of all the people you disagree with. He's coming to confront you, to put you under his feet. Every individual has power, the power to act. And this is the power that we must hand over in order to submit. It's not beautiful to show one's power and strength. It's beautiful to hand your power over and to bow down to the one who does have strength, to the one who is God, who gives us his teaching. And we know from Psalm 2, and from the entire Old Testament, but let's just take Psalm 2, that God sets his king on Mount Zion, and he scoffs at all of the other kings of the earth. The problem for the American Christian is then you talk about Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin, and then you feel good. You use those characters and you ignore the fact that it is your power that opposes the throne of Jesus Christ. God sets his king on his throne. There's one thing that he has to do while he's on his throne. Take care of the widow and the orphan and the stranger. Now you want to say that Saddam Hussein, Bashar al-Assad, whoever you want to complain about, Oh, they're killing their own people. At least we don't kill our own people. But does our leader take as their exclusive duty, not one of many duties, but their exclusive duty to take care of the orphan, the widow, and the stranger? No, he, his main job is to be the commander-in-chief of the military. That's what they always say, to defend the country. That's their main job. You have to take care which power you choose to worship. And if you believe that one kind of human power is better than another kind of human power, there's a problem. By denigrating the power of a foreign tyrant, are you lifting up the power of Scripture or are you lifting up the power of your own community? If you're lifting up the power of your own community, you're still opposing God. When Dr. Benton talks about the foreign tyrants, he's not talking about politics. He's talking about your sins. It's a very serious matter. People want to figure out what's the right kind of power and the wrong kind of power so that they can have power, even when they say they don't want it. It's not about preserving your own power. It's about allowing that power to flow back to the source of power, which is God. Allow that power to go to God and submit to God, handing your power over to him, whether you're the peasant or you're the king. The right power is the power of the text preached with authority, to put to shame all those who hear it. Not to lift up the righteous and put down the unrighteous, which is how people deal with preaching and teaching, because everyone's an ideologue and everyone is a Pharisee. No, you have to preach with authority so that the judgment of the text puts all to shame, including your president or your king, and then there's hope. But if you want to be righteous of your own accord and prove that there's a right way to be, you're going to argue from now until the Lord comes that what the priest or the pastor is saying with authority from the pulpit is misplaced because I'm not that guy, so why is he talking down to me? Who is he to say that I'm that way? He is the disciple of Jesus Christ who speaks with the same authority. And anyone can speak with that authority if they know Scripture. It's not exclusive to the clergy, obviously. But the whole discussion proves that people don't take Scripture seriously when they get caught up in this. They're not serious about the Bible. Answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you don't know, 
there's nothing I can say. If you don't know, then this power doesn't apply to you. Go do what you want. You're not a disciple. Now I feel sad for you because the power of my father, which is the mantle I carry, will consume everything on that day. But I have nothing more to do to help you because you're not reading his teaching. What more do you want me to do? There's nothing left. By whatever authority Jesus speaks, whatever the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests say, what Jesus offered was a prophetic sign of the destruction of the temple. Whatever you do, O human keepers of the temple, you're completely impotent before the power of God. And if God wants to destroy this house, the house will be destroyed no matter what you do. This is the authority by which Jesus is speaking. And so you can submit to this authority that the prophets have always been offering since of old. Or you can continue to worry about, oh, is Jesus going to make you look stupid? Or are the crowds going to turn against you? And oh, maybe it's better just not to answer so we don't have to look stupid. What do they do? They give up their opportunity to teach and their opportunity to learn. They neither speak so that the crowds can learn something about Torah. They also don't speak in such a way that they can learn something from Torah. They choose not to speak to preserve their own power. If you know scripture, if it's drilled into your bones, if scripture becomes your impulse, you will say and do things, not with courage. Courage is the wrong word, because you will say and do them by impulse because the text shapes your impulse. You will do things that are offensive or not offensive, that are risky for you or not risky, not on the basis of personal calculus or how it will be received or whether or not people will like it or whether or not it's socially correct, but because that's what the text put in you. It's so important. And if you're not really struggling to hear what the Bible is saying and reading it every day and studying the languages and taking it apart and spending time with it, this discussion won't make any sense to you. You'll walk away like everyone does saying, well, I want to think for myself. I don't want the Bible to think for me. That's not what we're saying. But you won't understand what we're saying if you're not dealing with Scripture. It's an invitation to take Scripture seriously. Otherwise, Jesus has nothing to say. Thanks very much, Dr. Martin. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.